G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. In Judges 6, Gideon is a man that God wants to use to a greater degree. But in order to do that, Gideon's going to have to learn these life principles. Today with Jeff Vines. Hi there, thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill and Pastor Jeff starts a new series called Wildlife about how we can live impressive lives, lives in closer connection with God. And in this message, we're looking at the life of Gideon, how Gideon copes when things become difficult so that we can learn to adapt better to difficulties in our lives. Let's get into it now. Pastor Jeff will be teaching from the book of Judges, chapters 6 to 8. This is Today with Jeff Vines. No matter where you go in the world, what you discover very quickly is that we all face the same kind of problems. Uh, There are things that come into our lives that we don't expect and that life becomes a real challenge of learning how to to respond to events that we really have no control over. Well, this weekend we start a new series called Wild Life. And if you're over 40, if you hear the words wild life, the connotations are usually negative. (laughs) You think perhaps maybe of the boy who smokes a lot of pot and listens to acid rock. That's a wild life or a wild person. Or maybe the girl who uh, parties hard, doesn't use a lot of discretion when it comes to her boyfriends or her clothing. Or if you're a little older or maybe even a little younger, you might think of a wild life as somebody who is wild and crazy, maybe somebody who throws caution to the wind and says, you know what, I'm not gonna do what they tell me I have to do anymore, and I'm just gonna go to a place of of quietness. I'm gonna go up into the mountains and I'm gonna live like a wild man. I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do whenever I wanna do it. I'm gonna live a wild life, maybe an adventurous life. Or you might look at something and think that's wild, like uh, Donald Trump's comb over. You might say, that's wild. But if you talk to a new generation, when you talk about living wild or the wild life, It's taken on really new meaning. When we describe somebody as living the wild life, we're talking about someone that lives in a way that is unexplainable, unfathomable, but not necessarily in a bad way. Rather, it's in a way that's impressive. You mean, you look at someone, you say, man, how did you manage that? How did you make that out of that? Or how do you live that way? That's so wild. As a matter of fact, I remember I pulled it back up when we decided on the theme of this sermon series. I pulled back the story of Tony Bennett when he was offered a raise at the beginning of this year and he turned it down. Now that was a wild kind of life. And people actually use those words in the, in the New York Times and Washington Post. What kind of person 
declines more money. And Tony Bennett, the coach of the championship uh, Virginia Cavaliers, basically said this, and I quote, my wife and I have enough. We don't need any more. Give my race to the staff and to community programs. Wow, that's wild life. That's living like no one else. In fact, gratitude for and trusting in God's provision is a major defining characteristic of someone who's living the wild life. Now, having said that, you know, Jesus told his disciples when they were in the upper room, he said, you know, how I have longed to eat this meal with you. And for me, we've been waiting to do this series for a long time. We wanted to pick the right time because I have longed to give you these principles. These are principles that I've discovered in my life over 35 years of preaching. And that's why it's important that we go through them one by one, because here's the deal. I've learned this in my own life. It's not something that I practice, but something that I learned. If you live your life every single day, every 24-hour period, and you allow these seven precepts or principles to govern the way that you respond to everyday life, I promise you some things are going to be happening. Number one, your countenance is going to be off the charts. You're going to find that you live with a centralized joy where sorrow is only something that is peripheral. You're also going to notice that everyone around you is in awe. They're going to think, how does he or she do that? How can you respond to those things in that way to lead to so many positive outcomes? These are what these seven principles are capable of doing. They are principles that we find in Scripture. They've been in existence for thousands of years. And when people begin to practice them, you'll notice a commonality among those who are successful. These seven principles are in their lives one way or another. But you'll notice that if you get them into your life one by one, two things are going to happen. Number one, as I said before, people are going to stand in awe of you. In fact, there will be times you'll be in awe of yourself. But most importantly, you'll be in awe of God, how God keeps his word when you actually live this way, when you respond to the difficulties of your life this way. The second thing that's going to happen is that you're going to discover an incredible sense of value and worth. Now, with, in one respect, there's nothing you could do to make Christ love you more or accept you more than he already has because we are saved by grace through faith. So there's nothing you could do, no position you could place yourself in where Jesus would love you or accept you more. However, and this is what I've learned over a period of living, it is possible that you can position yourself in a place where God uses you to a greater degree, thereby giving you a greater subjective, a greater feeling of significance and worth. Do you see the difference? You are objectively significant and you are valuable, but there are responses that you can give in everyday life where you will get a greater feeling of acceptance and significance. And that's what these principles will do. So some of you are saying right now, okay, Pastor Jeff, you had me at hello, let's go, let's get these. What are these principles? Principle number one, God intends on using the unfortunate events of my life as faith builders leading to the greatest accomplishments of my life. Okay, the first principle, the way you're gonna to respond to the difficulties of your life or any circumstance, number one, with the attitude that God intends on using the unfortunate events of my life as faith builders leading then to the greatest accomplishments of my life. Now, the passage or the biblical narrative from which we glean these principles comes out of Judges chapter six through eight. And in Judges six, we meet a man by the name of Gideon. 
Now here's the story. Gideon is a man that God wants to use to a greater degree. But in order to do that, Gideon's gonna have to learn these life principles. Otherwise, it's gonna be a miserable failure. So in the same way he learns them, we're going to have to learn them. So in order that we might learn them, let's see how he experienced them and how then they became part of his everyday living. So here's the story. We're in Judges 6. Israel is being defeated on a regular basis by some well-trained warriors called the Midianites. In Judges 6, verse 4, we read this. They, that's the Midianites, camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Okay, so Gideon is part of the Israelites. In one corner, you have the Midianites. The Midianites are well-trained warriors. They love to fight and conquer. It's what they do. They exterminate things. That's who they are. And there's 135,000 of them. On the other side of the ring, you have the Israelites. They're a bunch of farmers, shepherds, bricklayers. They love to grow food and eat food. That's who they are. That's what they do. Now, these Midianites are so cruel that rather than annihilate the Israelites in one fell swoop, which they are capable of doing, because there's 135,000 of them and only 32,000 Israelites, again, well-trained warriors against farmers. Rather than do that, they just wait till the Israelites have planted, uh, have worked hard in the fields, and then harvest month comes. And instead of allowing the Israelites time to harvest what they have worked so hard for, the Midianites come down out of the hills and the caves and the holes in the ground, and they basically burn and ravage the land. They ruin the crops, they kill the livestock, they burn all the houses, and notice there's nothing in the passage about destroying any person. So these guys are ruthless. It's extermination by starvation. And this has been happening for seven years. Now, quickly. The Israelites are in this situation by something we've talked about numerous times before, cause and effect. They're in this situation because according to Judges 6 verse 1, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So the reality is that God doesn't just sit up in heaven ready to pounce on you when you do something wrong. That is not the long-suffering, patient God of the Scriptures about whom we read but there is a cause and effect in the universe. If you live in violations of the precepts of God, we've said before, then the effect will be detrimental. And until we truly start to realize and believe that God loves us, and when he gives us a precept or a parameter, it's because he wants us to live the abundant life, then we will continue to violate his precepts at our own detriment. And so the Israelites have disobeyed God, and because they've disobeyed him for so long, God has withdrawn his presence, and the Midianites, now come down out of the mountains to impoverish the land. Now, here's what verse 11 tells us of Judges chapter 6, because God now has heard the prayers of his people Israel, and Gideon is the man God has chosen to rescue the Israelites from the hand of the Midianites. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Obra that belonged to Joash the uh, Abyssalite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, Gideon's response is amazing. Basically, he says to the angel, wait a minute, don't call me mighty warrior. Because in his mind, 
They are a defeated nation. So he's in the wine press, stomping on the grapes, squeezing them so that the good stuff can come out. But at the same time, he's speaking over the wall, waiting for the Midianites to come in and destroy everything. So when the angel shows up and calls him, oh, valiant warrior, here's how Gideon replies in verse 13. He says, angel, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So Gideon has been visited by an angel of the Lord. And what's his response? He says, don't call me valiant. Don't call me a hero. After all, sir, we've been impoverished for the last seven years by these Midianite warriors. Can you tell me where God has been? What happened to these great miracles our fathers told us about, where God caused the waters of the Red Sea to part so that we could walk around, or walk through rather, on dry land and escape the hand of Pharaoh and his army? And what about the walls of Jericho? Our forefathers told us about how the power of God caused the walls of Jericho to fall so that we could move in and take the city. So where is this God that you're talking about? Where has all this occurred? And he says, basically in response to him, he says, well, now think about this for a moment. You're Gideon. The angel has told you that God is gonna rescue the people. And instead of saying thank you, what you do is you make an accusation against God and you say, where have you been? Why has all these things happened to us? Now, if you were God, here's what you could say. And this is important. You could say, hey, you really wanna know why you're in this situation right now? Let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about the fact that you've been involved in idol worship and you've been involved in adultery and you've had no gratitude for the promised land in which God has given you. Let's, let's talk about the reality that you only come to me when things are bad and you want something from me. Let's talk about the reality that going to the temple has become an inconvenience for you. What's amazing to me is God does not respond to Gideon that way at all. He doesn't bring up the past. The fact is, Gideon and his people have cried out to God to, for, for God to save them from the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord's response instead in verse 14 is this, Gideon, go in your strength, the strength that you have, and you save Israel out of Midian's hand. So God is basically saying this, Gideon, let's not go there. Let's not talk about all the failures, cause and effect. The reality is that would be a long conversation. Think about it. If every time we got into a situation that was a series of, of unfortunate circumstances, whether it was a conflict at the office or something as serious as a diagnosis of cancer, if we really had an audience with God and wanted to know why all these things would happen, what are the possibilities? I mean, think about it. Is it not true that if every time we did something wrong, God punished us, that we'd be punished continually? That's not the God of the Bible. The reality is we don't know when God is allowing something to happen in us for something that is greater down the road or when we're actually reaping and, uh, what we've sown into our own lives. We have no way of knowing. And the Bible never really deals with that. In fact, in James chapter one, the writer says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. But he doesn't say that God sent the trials into your lives. He says, the only way that you can successfully respond to the unfortunate circumstances of your life is to count it joy. To know, okay, I don't know why this is happening, but I do know that God will take this, whatever it was meant for evil, and will use it to do something that is great in my life. The same thing happens in Hebrews chapter 12. The writer says, endure hardship as discipline. 
Now, I read that numerous times. You think about the people in the book of Hebrews, they're suffering because they have taken a stand for Jesus. And then the writer says, look at the hardship as discipline. Well, wait a minute, what have they done wrong? That's not the point. You never know why you're in the position that you're in. And the only way that you can respond to it that would bring about victory is if you look at all things as God taking these disadvantages, turns them into an advantage and they use them ultimately, he uses them for his glory. Now, once we understand that, God does not say to Gideon, let's talk about why you're in this mess. He just says basically this, do you want to out or not? Are you ready to move forward? And Gideon says that the narrative is beautiful. Gideon says, yes, I do, but I'm not sure you're going to help me. Now, do you see this? Gideon basically asked God for proof. So he's not saying to God, God, prove to me that you exist. No, he's saying, God, we've sinned so much. Now that I'm in your, your, your presence, I've realized we don't really deserve anything. So how do I know you're not setting me up? <laughs> Are you really going to deliver us? And Gideon says basically to God, God, be patient with me, but I'm gonna lay out a fleece on the ground. And when I lay this fleece out, I'm gonna ask that when I wake up in the morning that the fleece has dew on it, but the ground is dry. And if you do that, Lord, then I'll know you're gonna protect us. So he goes to bed, he wakes up the next morning, God did exactly what he wanted him to do. But then Gideon says, now God, don't get angry here, but because you think about it, it's 50-50 chance, right? So he says, God, can we, can we do this again? Only this time, can it be dry on the fleece and there be dew on the ground? It amazes me that God puts up with this kind of unbelief. But because God loves Gideon and he's preparing him for something great in the future, he is incredibly patient. He does what Gideon asked him to do. And the reason is, is because there is a giant that needs to be slain. And the question is, how do you slay a giant? Do you remember what David said in 1 Samuel when Saul said, how are you gonna be able to defeat Goliath? How, how can you defeat this giant? Here's David's response. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So here's what David says. Here's how I know that I'm going to win this victory because I prayed to God in the past and he delivered me from the paw of the bear and from the paw of the lion. I've already been there, done that. I know what God does. He has put me in situations in the past to build my faith and trust. So in this moment, in this day, I'm gonna slay Goliath. Now here's the point, here's the principle. God will take advantage of every opportunity to build our faith and every opportunity to demonstrate his faithfulness to us. Therefore, you got to learn to wake up every single day with this attitude. Principle number one, these are so beautiful. There's seven of them, but you got to get one at a time. And the first is this. I got to wake up every day and say to myself, no matter what happens today, God intends on using every unfortunate event in my life this day as a faith builder leading to the greatest accomplishments of my life. Yeah, let me say that again. God intends on using the unfortunate events of my life as faith builders so that I learn to trust him no matter what, so that I can experience great accomplishments in the future when God puts me in a position where I've learned his faithfulness in the past and I know he will be faithful in the future. God's forte. I mean, God is an opportunist. He looks for opportunities in our lives to take what others meant for evil and turn them for good. But the manner in which we respond to them makes all the difference. Now, Let's contextualize this principle. 
and we're gonna contextualize it to death because we can't leave the first part of this series until we've fully grappled with it, okay? Let's think about, wouldn't it, would it not be true that if you knew precisely what every new day would bring, then you could be ready and prepared to respond appropriately in a way that would lead to victories in your life rather than defeats, right? But here's the problem. You do know, you do know what's gonna happen every day of your life. You've been living long enough now, you know someone is gonna cut you off on the 210. Done deal. You know that someone is gonna slide a sarcastic, demeaning remark your way. You know that somebody is gonna make an attempt to devalue you. You will be lied to. You will be taken advantage of. You will be belittled. You will suffer health issues. Some days are better than others, but the reality is you know, generally speaking, what's coming your way because it's been coming your way since the day basically you were born. Now, here's the issue. You have to make up your mind somewhere along the way. And I was at a university this past week called Kentucky Christian University, and I reminded the students of something. There's only one of two options in this world. Either you have been created by God and you are in his image, and there is ultimate meaning and purpose in your life whereby God is preparing you for some great endeavor, or the other option is there is no God, there is no meaning, there is no purpose, and everything that happens in your life is dumb bad luck, and one day you're gonna go back into the dirt. There's no middle ground, folks. It's one or the other, but let it be one or the other, which means that you are designed for reason and purpose, and that God wants to take all of these events in your life, especially the unfortunate ones, and build into you a type of faith whereby in the future, he can do something fantastic where people say, man, that is wild life. That is wild living. Look at that. How did you do that out of that? That is the God of scripture. And I promise you this, if you decide to do this, remember what God told Gideon? He said in verse 14, okay, Gideon, you've got a set of unfortunate circumstances here. Go in your own strength and you save Israel out of your hand. You, you come up with the power and you free the Israelites from the Midianites. So God basically says, we can do this one of two ways. You can go at it alone and you will fail or we can do this together and you will always win. And God is saying that I intend on using the unfortunate events of your life as faith builders leading to the greatest accomplishments of your life. See, if God does have a grand purpose for us then, this is God's forte. He wants us to live the wild life. He wants us to know that he's gonna take everything that is meant for evil from the gossip someone says about us to the disease we're diagnosed with, and he's gonna prepare all of this, bring it together, work it together for good, so that in that given moment for which we've been created, that somewhere off in the future, we will respond the right way and greatness will occur. Well, thanks for joining us for that message on Today with Jeff Vines. We do have to leave it there for today. And I know most of us are very busy, but hopefully we can find some time to read through Judges 6 again. And next time, Pastor Jeff will return and will finish that message from the Wildlife series. The most beautiful thing of all is that anyone who faces life this way knows that God just doesn't throw you out there and says, hey, you're gonna experience some difficult times and I don't care. He throws you out there into the world, but he says, I'm gonna be with you and I'm never gonna leave you. We'll catch you again next time on Today with Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au 
forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.